Grace, peace, and mercy be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Albert Einstein famously said that he did not believe that God does not play dice with the universe. Now, he was talking about quantum physics, but the, the quote applies to what I think we need to wrestle with this morning with our passage from Acts chapter 1. Does God play dice with our lives? We know God cares about us, sure, but when it comes to the actual decisions and choices that we make, does God care? Does it matter to God whether you took that job or this job? Does it matter to God whether you decide to go to CSU or Baylor? If you get a new puppy, does God care if you name it Snowflake or Vanilla? It's white, so you got to go with one of those two. But does God himself have a dog in that fight? And it's a hard question. Because even as we wrestle with it, I mean, you can start to say, well, yeah, the big stuff, sure, God definitely cares about the big stuff. Choosing an apostle, yep, God was totally caring about the decision. Uh, choosing which thing to get off the value menu at McDonald's, God does not care about that. But do we have scripture to actually back that up? I mean, it's kind of just us winging it when, when we make statements like that. Uh, and in fact, Christianity uh, covers the entire spectrum of what followers of Jesus, believers in the Bible, actually think about how God's will plays out in our individual choices. You have everything represented, represented from the deists on one side uh, who just completely think that God, you know, he made it all and then hasn't messed with earth since, doesn't care about our choices. You know, he basically set earth and the universe moving. We're all going to be born and said, all right, good luck. I'll see you in heaven if you get there. You know, and that, that's the deist perspective is that God has no interaction uh, no caring about the actual individual choices and moments of human life and existence. Then you have all the way to the other end of the spectrum, the charismatics uh, of our faith, and they think God, through his Holy Spirit, leads us on every decision. I've known uh, people uh, in, in that uh, spectrum of faith where, where they'll say, you know, they'll get up in the morning and they'll say, God, do you want me to go for a hike today or ride my bike today? And they will, and they will truly spend their day submitting each and every choice to the Lord and saying, all right, Holy Spirit, lead me. What do you want me to do? Wh which exercise today? Which place should I go today? And so you have everything covered, and so you, you can't even just say, well, this is the Christian answer on this question, because even Christians are completely all over the map when it comes to the question, does God play dice with our lives? Does he care? Does he not care? Uh, and if so, how does that even look? How would God even let us know if he cared? If it really did matter to him where we went for our exercise, if it really did matter to him how we named the new puppy, how would he even let us know? And as I struggle with that decision, one of the things I've had to face about myself this week is that God may or may not play dice with us, but you know what? I sure as heck play dice with God. I sure uh, kind of throw my things and my dice out there and say, all right, God, make it happen. I treat God, I think, like some kind of cosmic magic eight ball. And I kind of say, all right, well, God, I, you know, you want to do this or this? I don't like that answer. <laughs> Try again later. Darn, okay. 
And I don't really think that I'm on good grounds there either when I kind of am, am saying, all right, God, I want you to just kind of magically affirm my decisions. I, I don't necessarily see that in Scripture either, and, and yet I know that I just subconsciously do that to God. I treat God that way like he's uh, going to be, you know, that I'm going to be coin flipping and I'm saying, all right, God, you make it heads if you want it to be heads. Uh, and do we realize how arrogant that, that sounds? You know, to say, all right, God, you made everything, the entire universe, every star that's ever existed or will ever exist, all the, the billions of people who have existed over the course of history, but man, flip this coin and let me know where I should move with my family. If it weren't in the Bible, we would say that's just ludicrous. We'd say it's blasphemous. I and mean, we'd say, how could you possibly think that, that the creator of the universe is at your beck and call for, uh, for this coin flip decision? And yet... That's exactly the story that we're faced with in Acts this morning. And as a result, it's actually one of the more uh, controversial and disputed passages in Scripture as we, as we engage with what's going on here. Because it sure looks like the apostles are saying, all right, God, we're just going to flip coins and trust that you can make it land heads or tails as it happens. Uh, it feels like the apostles are playing dice with God. And so here's the picture. There had been 12 of them. They'd gotten a message from God from the angel saying, go wait. But that's it. That's all they know from God. Uh, and, and so the apostles are actually very similar to us. I think we sometimes think that they you know, were these awesome, perfect men uh, you know, who were wise and knew everything. And yet in this situation, they don't have any leading from God explicitly. They don't have an angel like in the first part of the chapter. Uh, and, and what you have is, is they're all getting together in the room, and they're not sure what to do. They've been told to wait. And so they're just sitting in the upper room, twiddling their thumbs. Uh, and we should probably do something. Well, all right, we should probably find a 12th guy. Now that Judas is out of the picture, we, we, should, we should replace him. Uh, and so they decided that it was necessary to choose one of the men. Uh, they proposed two men, uh, and then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias. So just to explain this to you for a moment, uh, the way casting lots uh, was practiced in that culture was they, uh, they took stones uh, and they wrote each guy's name on one of the stones uh, and then they put both stones in a jar and didn't put the lid on. And then they shook the jar and whichever stone came flying out first, that was the lot, okay? So, so you got Justice's name in there, Matthias's name in there, they're shaken and Matthias came out and that's... That's who it must be, all right? So that's the picture of the practice uh, for how it worked. And, and it's also important to know that they're not just making this up. Like, this isn't just a random, you know, well, what's, you know, we've got to pick somebody. Well, you know, let's, let's, let's try casting lots. Uh, throughout the Old Testament, actually, casting lots was one of the ways through which God communicated with his people. Uh, they actually did do that repeatedly in the Old Testament. So this isn't just a, a random thing. Uh, this is something that has history and practice, uh, and where God himself has said, cast the lot, and I will show you through the lot what my will for you is. Uh, and so the apostles are, are actually uh, consistent uh, with what God's followers had done uh, throughout history. Okay? But I want you to be in their shoes as far as they don't actually know explicitly what God wants. And I think when we read the Bible, it's easy to just go, oh, they're all in the Bible. They all knew everything. Uh, and yet they were just like us in this moment, in this scene. They, they were confused. They were hopeful. I mean, the, the angels had talked to them, so they were optimistic. Uh, but, but they're still just 
fallen men and women trying to figure out what God wants them to do next. And I don't know about you, but I relate to that almost every day of my life. Where I'm going, if I knew, I would happily do anything you want, God, but frankly, you've not been all that clear lately. Uh, So I completely relate to this story. But here's the question uh, that I have for you this morning that I think is going to inform how we engage with this text. Uh, They cast the lot and they chose this apostle, Matthias. Now, does anyone know what Matthias did next after this story? Nothing. We never hear from him again. This is the last time Matthias is mentioned in the Bible. Uh, so they made an apostle, and then he like, went and lived in a cloister or something. We, don't, we have no idea what Matthias did. On the other hand, there was this other guy that you might have heard of named Paul, who was responsible almost single-handedly for spreading the faith throughout the known civilized empire. Uh, he uh, almost by himself made sure that the faith in Jesus lasted beyond the single generation of, of people who saw Jesus themselves, and while he was at it, wrote most of the New Testament. All right? That's Paul, and he himself was designated an apostle by God directly. And so when you're looking at this story, you think, boy, Paul would probably have been a far better choice then this guy, Matthias, I mean, if Paul hadn't at the moment been executing Christians, I mean, that was kind of a black mark, you know. Uh, so, I mean, you can see why they didn't consider him at the time. But you're faced with this very real thing where they basically flipped a coin to decide God's will for a new apostle. And a little bit later, God then directly intervenes and, and makes a new apostle in Paul and says, no, Paul, you're my apostle. Uh, and Paul goes on to do amazing things. Matthias goes on to do nothing. So here's the question. Did they make the right choice in our story this morning? Did the apostles follow God's will in this one very critical decision that they needed to make for the future of the church? What do you think? Who was the right choice? Matthias? Anyone want to go for Matthias there? All right, was, was Paul the right choice? All right, I'm going to make you pick one. So, all right, so, so let's, do, let's do two hands. Who thinks Paul was the right choice for, for next apostle? Okay, who thinks Matthias was the right choice? All right, all right, about 50-50. Okay, Here, here's the good news for you. Uh, Christians can't agree. All right, I mean, so I'll just be honest with you up front. Uh, I, I do think there is a, a, a more Lutheran answer, which I'll be trying to prove to you here in a moment, but but I do want to just admit up front, Christians look at this text and are divided as to whether they made the right choice in Matthias or the wrong choice, and they should have waited for the Holy Spirit, and they should have waited for God to appoint Paul as the 12th apostle. All right, so just know that up front. I'm going to make the case that I think it's good, but just know that that you're going to get Christians who give you a different answer on this question. But know this, if you think it's Paul, which is fine, about half of you do, you are saying that the 11 living apostles deviated from God's will almost first thing after Jesus ascended into heaven. Okay? Which, they do that a lot. So that's not like... Uh, that's not like the end of the world. I mean, the apostles do make mistakes. Uh, so it's not the end, but that is what you're saying, is that you're looking at this passage and you're saying, nope, God's will was Paul, and they messed it up. 
And so it's a serious charge. Because we got to look at this and we have to decide, does this text show us a way to know God's will in our decisions, or does it show us the wrong way to go about knowing God's will in our decisions? All right? So as we wrestle with that, it, it hit me that we've really got to narrow down and be very precise about what God's will is. Because I think, I know I certainly fall into this just kind of subconsciously, and I think people by and large fall into it too, that we have a tendency, uh, Bob, to uh, approach God's will and think of God's will just kind of automatically like a bullseye on a target. That there's this big target, and then there's all the wrong places outside the target, but there is this one bullseye that God is wanting for you. This is the place God wants you to be, and if you are anywhere outside of that, then you have missed God's will. And I think that is a very common way of just naturally thinking about God's will. I think it ties in in our culture, or even unbelievers in our culture believe in fate. You know, and people believe in the, you know, the, the one right person meant for you. Uh, we, we have these pictures just almost subconsciously that, that there is this fate, God, and, and there is one right answer, one bullseye that God's aiming for you. And if you get it wrong, then you are no longer in God's will. Uh, and I got to tell you, that's a crippling way to think about it, right? Uh, I mean, if, if you apply that for like finding a spouse, you know, that's saying that out of the, you know, 3.6 billion people of the other gender of you, uh, you know, that there was only one that would have been God's will for you. And boy, you better hope they were born in the same state or at least the same country, right? Uh, or you're in trouble finding them. All right. Uh, however, by and large, this is not the picture that Scripture paints for God's will. Okay, there are a few exceptions. So, for example, uh, when Joseph is kind of sitting there going, should I, you know, boy, I just found out Mary's pregnant. Do I marry her? Do I not marry her? You know, what do I do? Uh, and, and God sends an angel and the angel says, no, no, you take her as your wife. Joseph had a bullseye. Okay, he had a very clear, supernatural uh, message from God saying, no, no, I have one thing that you absolutely need to do. Uh, and you do it, all right? But, but we got, and, and there are a few stories like that throughout Scripture, but there are far more examples in Scripture of faithful followers of God that never get that. They never, ever have a supernatural revelation, whether it's through an angel, through a prophet, whatever, that says, do this exact thing. For the vast majority, for millions of God followers, this is never the picture, all right? The, the better picture, and the one that is far more applicable for us this morning is this one, all right, which is kind of this picture of an overlapping of circles. The first circle on the left is God's sovereign will. That is the, that's basically saying God's the king, God made everything, and nothing happens that God doesn't let happen, okay? Does that make sense? Uh, it's basically everything God allows or makes happen, but it's important to distinguish not everything in that circle is good, right? There is sin in this world, and God allowed that to happen. So that's in his sovereign will. Uh, there are people who steal and kill. And again, God allows that to happen. That's in his sovereign will. He could have stopped it, didn't. Everything God allows to happen. The second circle is God's moral will. And another way of understanding that is what God actually wants to happen. Okay, these are things God desires for us. Uh, and the moral will is best summed up uh, as the laws that he's given us through his Bible. You know, God's made it very clear he wants us not to lie, steal, commit adultery, covet, right? Those are all God's moral will. Those are the things he desires from us, all right? So if you're trying to say, oh, you know, I just feel like I can just steal anything I want because, you know, no one can catch me, outside God's moral will, okay? Now, where those two circles overlap, 
That large middle section is the area of freedom for Christians. Okay? That's what's saying, hey, it's in God's sovereign will. It's in God's moral will. You're good to go. If it's in that section, wonderful. Do it. All right, just to give you an example of that, you know, I've seen the struggle of someone being like, well, I think maybe God called me to be a missionary, but I also just have a really good business sense, and I I just can't decide whether I should be a missionary or a business person, okay? And and the knee-jerk, I think, for us a lot of times is, oh, well, be a missionary, you know, that's always the the thing God wants you to do. God's will is for you to be a missionary, Uh, and yet I, I would push back on that, you know, depending on the person. I would say, well, God's sovereign will uh, is, that, uh, is that he sent Christ to die on a cross for you. You are redeemed. You are forgiven. Uh, and God has called you to help advance his kingdom. Uh, and so, uh, and then his moral will is that, that he's given us the opportunity to live righteously and to go out and proclaim his good news to the lost. So being a missionary right smack in that area of freedom. That would be wonderful. However, God has also said in his moral will that he wants people to uh, be a light uh, in the darkness to people who don't know him, and that we have a secular uh, world that needs good business people, that needs good bosses who have virtue uh, and who take care of employees and love uh, their their employees and their customers, Uh, and that is also in the area of freedom. And so it's not this question of Missionary is God's will, business person is not. Business person is God's will, missionary is not. They are both in that middle overlapping section. This is a far better picture of God's will for his followers. All right, it's very different from God doesn't care. But it is in this realm of God has given us parameters. He has said, my son died for you, uh, and otherwise you weren't getting to heaven, and now I have some ways I'd like you to live, fruits of the Spirit, etc. But within that, God is saying, I leave it to you to boldly do what I've asked you to do. And each and every person is going to have different answers in that area of freedom. You know, if someone says to me, I'd like to make a living booting cars and selling them on the black market, and I would say, no, no, that one's outside God's moral will. Definitely not God's will for you, right? But if they tell me and they say, you know, I think I want to be a librarian for a living, and I say, awesome. That's right smack there. Do it. Do it to God's glory. Do it to spread light to all those that you would interact with, uh, to share God's hope with the hopeless. Uh, But God's will is no longer visualized as this single dot bullseye that you have to try and aim for uh, and you might miss. Instead, it's this huge space where he says to all of his children, go and make me proud. Right? And so with that picture, now let's re-look at this story. Okay? Okay. they're not just flipping a coin. They're, they've built in parameters that show that this entire process is absolutely in that Venn diagram of God's will. So the first thing they do is they go to Scripture. Peter doesn't just say, hey, guys, I just think it'd be a great idea to have 12. I mean, 11, it's an odd number. It's prime. We can't really divide into small groups evenly. Uh, It just doesn't work. We need a 12th to really round this guy out. Uh, He doesn't say that. He says, no, Scripture says that we need to replace 
uh, the person in leadership. Okay, so that's point one, is that when you're trying to figure out God's will and, 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 and how it fits within that area of freedom, step one is you go to Scripture and you see what Scripture says. Now, when Scripture then doesn't say you should go to Baylor, you know, when, when, when Scripture then doesn't have the specific you need, you go to step two. Step two is they discussed and sought advice from each other. They consulted together. They came up with a list of criteria. They said, oh, well, well we need to find someone who's, who's witnessed Jesus, who's been with us for a long time. Uh, and so that's, that's Christian counsel. So when, you, when Scripture isn't specific enough, although it still gives guidance, uh, you know, large picture guidance, you then go and you seek Christian counsel. Your parents, your friends, your teacher, your pastor, uh, whoever it is that has, that has say in your life, you go and you, and you ask them and you get wisdom from them. And then the third and final thing, uh, which is in verse 24, and then they prayed. And then finally, you seek God directly. And you pray to him, and you trust that he is going to make things work out. All right? So seek scripture. Seek Christian counsel and advice. Seek God in prayer. Those are the three steps for knowing God's will for your life, for whatever decisions you're having to make. And if you make those three steps and you follow them faithfully, whatever choice you make, I tell you, I'm confident that it is in the overlapping circle of God's will. Is Matthias the right choice? Absolutely he is. Absolutely. Right? Where in sovereign will and moral will does he fall? He's a good man. He's faithful. He, was, he walked with Jesus. He followed him. There is nothing in Matthias that says he is a bad choice. And so when the apostles decide to seek scripture, seek counsel, pray to God, absolutely Matthias was the right choice. 100%. And here's why this matters for us. Because I've seen it in my own life, in counseling situations, my friends, I've seen the angst and, and, and the anxiety that comes from us as we struggle to do God's will in our lives. I've seen people crippled by indecision where they went to school uh, to, to do something and then found out that it wasn't what they were meant for or they didn't like that field. But they're like, but, but man, I really thought God was calling me to do that. So was God wrong? And it's truly a, a, a traumatic thing to try and figure out what God's will is. Uh, I especially see, uh, I see it in marriages, you know, when people have this, oh, well, uh, you know, I thought God called me to this marriage, but now I feel like, like, like that was a mistake. Was God wrong? Uh, and, and in all of it, I say, did you seek scripture? Did you seek counsel? Did you seek God through prayer? Well, then you know what? Change your major. You know what? Uh, do a complete 180 on a path you were going down and go in a different one. And I, will, and I will guarantee you that if you did those steps, you're absolutely in God's will. Well, I thought I was going to be a pastor, but now I think God's leading me to go into the entertainment industry. Great! Do it! If that's where God's will is, if that's what you're seeing through the gifts he's given you, the advice, scripture, then do it and go forth boldly. In Lutheran circles, we like to make a big thing about one of Martin Luther's quotes where he talked about sinning boldly. 
Martin Luther said, there are situations you find yourself in where it just feels like pretty much anything you do is going to be a sin. So you know what? Make a choice and then sin boldly and trust that God is big enough to forgive even that sin. But I think we don't spend as much time uh, saying that, that we can also follow God's will boldly. I have two choices. They both seem good. I have a coin flip in front of me, and I don't know which one is God's will. And we say, pick one, pick it boldly, and God's will goes with you. We don't have to live anxious. We don't have to live fearful. We especially don't have to live second-guessing every past decision. Oh, man, was that the thing God wanted or wasn't it? Did I make a huge mistake uh, changing that thing or going a different direction? We, I say, no. If you were trying humbly and sincerely to honor what, God, what you thought God wanted you to do, then absolutely it is in God's will. Choose boldly. And if it is within his sovereign will, his moral will, there is no one to tell you. And in fact, I believe God will honor the choice that you make. We don't need to worry about whether God plays dice with us. He doesn't. He sent his son specifically to save us. Not, oh, maybe this will work. No, he sent his son to save us. And then God says, now go forth and advance my kingdom. And we don't have to coin flip or worry about that. We don't have to, to tremble and go, ah, oh, you know, and, and stand at the crossroads of indecision. What scripture shows is that when we seek to know God's will, Romans 12, 2, that if we transform our minds, we will know God's will. And Scripture says when we make that choice boldly, it is absolutely God's will. Amen.